we do this. And this, this may sound a little bit more, um, I, I don't want to use the word soft, but touchy feely. Yeah. There was times I didn't feel like doing, I'd peek in on, on my son, EJ sleeping, or I'd peek in on Maddie sleeping before I walked out of the house, because it meant something to me for me to be able to walk back in the house and either have my daughter tell me, I smell like a pool, get away from her. Or the kids not give me a hug because I was too sweaty, but absolutely knowing it was registering with them the work that their dad was putting in. My name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and this is the Compete Everyday Podcast, a show designed to encourage and equip you with the tools to build a winning mindset so you can build your winning life. Text PODCAST to 972-945-9113 to join our Morning Motivation Club and visit CompeteEveryday.com for past podcast episodes and to learn more about our resources and gear for ambitious people who are ready to start winning. Welcome to the show. What's up, Competitor Nation? Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and I'm excited today as we get to welcome back my man, Coach Ed Molitor, as we talk about the athletics of business. We talk about the foundations of building a successful organization with leaders, and how do you coach the coaches, something that we know is incredibly important in any organization, as we can't have just managers checking the boxes, making sure tasks are done we got to have coaches that are developing people throughout the organization in order to ensure our long-term success. So today's a great conversation. If you have been with us for a while, you might recognize Ed's name. He was all the way back in 2017, episode 17, which is wild because today is episode 690. Wild to me that we've come that far in a handful of years, and it was really exciting to catch up with Ed off air and on air about what he's done since he's transitioned from being an NCAA Division I college basketball coach into now coaching and working with executives around the world in biotech, biopharma, and the medical device field. So we've got a great conversation about connecting with your people, leading your people, and then we talk about balancing physical challenges. Uh, the man crushed an iron, a half iron man recently, and we talked about how he balanced that three-plus-year training with challenges, with work, with family, with everything else in order to achieve that goal he set for himself. And why it's an important reminder to know what our why is, to continue to be flexible in the pursuit of it, but to remain committed to reaching that goal and living out that why. So today is full of a great conversation that I highly recommend you listen to, stick with us the whole time. And if you're browsing the show notes, you'll see the original episode back from 2017, as a few friends who have gone back and listened to it lately have laughed, we've come a long ways. So be warned, it's an early stage, it's an early rep, but hey, that's what it's all about, right? Putting in the ugly, sloppy reps to get better because we don't just magically wake up one day and get better. It doesn't matter if we're lifting weights, we're leading people, we're communicating, we're writing, we're speaking, whatever we are doing, we only get better through action, through reflection, and through looking for opportunities to improve. It's doing the work, stepping back, evaluating how we did, finding those opportunities to improve, and then doing the work again. 
Most of society never takes action because they're waiting to feel ready. They're waiting to have all their skill set. They're waiting for things to be perfect. And what they fail to realize is the only way to get to great is to start sloppy. It's to start slow, it's to start ugly, it's to get that through the process of becoming average and then from average you start to be better than average and then you start to be good and in the process of that you eventually find your way to becoming great. But you gotta start somewhere which means if you've been waiting, maybe today is that day you finally get going. You don't need one day, you got today. Make it your day one. As I'm excited to welcome in Ed to the show, before I do I wanna encourage you As always, join our Morning Motivation Club. All you got to do is text the word podcast to phone number 972-945-9113. That's code podcast to 972-945-9113. That will opt you into our free Morning Motivation Club. You'll get some birthday messages. You'll get some insider secret deals only available to members of the text club. And a few mornings a week, you get to start your day with some encouragement or some motivation from me. I want to send you a note to help you start the day strong, encouraged, and most of all, ready to compete. And if you're ready to compete and get better, then sit back, get ready, and let me welcome to the show my longtime friend, Ed Molitor. Coach Ed. It's been, gosh, six years. Welcome back to the show. Jake, I appreciate you having me back on. And the fact that you haven't forgotten me over the course of six years is awesome. Dude, we we are too much uh, of kindred spirits when it comes to competition, business, life. Uh, it's one reason we hit it off in the first place years ago, and it's been a joy, I'll say, to watch you uh, from afar because we haven't even gotten to sit down and break bread since, man, 2017, I think, in Irving when you were briefly in town. So I want to I wanna get caught up because I know a lot has changed in your world as you continue to make an impact. For those listening to hear more of kind of Coach's backstory of how you went from coaching college basketball now to coaching leaders, we're going to link to it in the show notes. But I have a question for you out of just pure curiosity to start. You recently completed a pretty impressive endurance event while still growing a business and brand. And so I'm curious how you managed your time and energy as someone who is a high performer yourself and doesn't want to just ever give just good enough. How did you balance that of the athletic performance with also life, parenting, spouse, everything else without burning yourself out? I'm not sure I figured it out yet, Jake, but <laughs> no. Nah, and I, I appreciate that because it, it was basically a three-year process. I don't know how much of the story I've shared with you, uh, well, I was coming up on my 50th birthday, not to date myself. I'm 53 now. I was coming up on my 50th birthday. And I said, you know what? I've done a bunch of Olympic distance triathlons. I've done a handful of sprints. I, there's something about that half Ironman that intrigues me. And I signed up for a half Ironman for my 50th birthday. I was in, it's not a midlife crisis. It was something that I wanted to do. It was something that I wanted to accomplish to push myself to see what I was capable of knowing all the great things that come with it as byproducts, right? Like the mental clarity, how you feel physically, emotionally, all of that. Now at that stage of the game, my children, so my daughter was seven going on eight. My son was five going on six. So they probably would have had an idea what 
daddy was doing, but wouldn't have really been able to grasp it as much as they can now, especially since they had to sit through the whole thing, right? So the first half Ironman was banged about a month before the race because of COVID. It was right when COVID hit, when I decided to do it, um, and that was canceled. The next year, my daughter decided to stop playing travel baseball and to move to travel softball, which is a big step. Like she loved baseball. She loved being around the guys. She loved competing. She loved it. She had friends in travel softball, baseball, speeding up a little bit for her, right? Got hit in the head at the plate a couple of times, knocked some sense into her. But we got an email three weeks before the race. Great news. We've added a game to our softball schedule. Our first game will be on this date. Well, that date happened to be the same date as my half Ironman. So I trained for this sucker now for two years. I said, there's not a chance I'm missing that first softball game. Okay, not a chance. So I went to the first softball game, canceled that half Ironman. Then there was last summer, I didn't have time to train for it with the business, with the family, with everything we had going on. So I just did an Olympic distance, a couple of them. Okay. And then it's, I'm like, it's, I, I've got some unfinished business. Like no matter what, I have to get it done. But here was the thing I decided instead of doing one in September and taking the chance that I was going to run into something sport wise with them, I decided to do one in early, um, early in the summer, June 26th to be exact. And it was a steel steelhead 70.3 in Benton Harbor, Michigan, which if you know anything about Lake Michigan, you know, it's going to be cold and you know, it's going to be rough because you're still getting the winds out of the Northwest. But I also knew I was going to have the rest of my summer to my, you know, to my family and to myself and to the business. So how did I go about doing it? I just prioritized, I dialed in, really got dialed into the purpose of why I was doing it and what it meant to me. And I committed to this. I committed to never complaining whether it was externally or internally ever letting words get into my head or out of my mouth about god i wish i didn't have to get up at 3 30 a.m to go do this 10 mile run okay my goal was for the kids to barely even know that dad was training now obviously it didn't quite work out that way when i had the four and a half five hour rides a couple weekends leading up to the race but they were super gracious about it my wife was amazing about it and i just did like my my swims were always 5 a.m swims it's the time the the master class I swim at, that's the time we swim with 5 a.m. swims. My runs were in the morning. My bikes, up until the last month and a half, I did the majority of my rides on my Wahoo trainer indoors, which was awesome. You lose your mind. I mean, a three-hour ride on a trainer, you lose your friggin' yeah. mind. But again, you know, unwilling to do it means you're unwilling to have it, right? Yep. So whatever it was, I just dialed into it, did it. And it was not easy. I mean, I didn't realize how much catching up I had to do on life until the race was June 26th. I didn't realize it until June 27th. But that's it. And that was, you just get really good at prioritizing things. And the thing I became good at was eating a lot of food and getting some rest. And it's what you do. One of, one of the things you mentioned there, I think so incredibly important that we talk about here on the show some, but I would love to hear kind of your methodology with it is getting very clear on the why. Yeah. And a lot of us know kind of why we do what we do, but it's the daily, weekly reinforcement of that that helps us keep it top of mind. And so for you, when you got that clarity of this is why this matters to me, how did you make sure you didn't lose sight of it? It was written on my whiteboard here in the office. It was written on my desk. It was taped to my mirror. I had it on a piece of paper down, you know, next to my bike. And truth be told, after a month or two of that, I never needed to look at anything because I would die. Well, once you start getting into the long workouts or you just don't feel like doing it, but you know, you do it. And that's it. Like I have a great tri coach. Okay. Amazing individual. Tim Holly, he's down in, in um, outside of Dallas, Texas. And it, just the thing he told me, he goes, just get miles in the bank. Okay. 
Just get miles in the bank, show up, be consistent. And that's it. And the purpose just kind of became not kind of, it became a part of who I was and the way I did things. And when I dialed into a coaching call, everything I had done that morning for workout was gone. It was, it was, it was forgotten. Okay. Like now I locked into this part of my day. I locked into this. So you just keep it right in front of and center and it just becomes part of your core of being. Love it. I love it. No, that's, it's always fascinating because for those listening, if you've done uh, a half Ironman, Ironman, even a, a sprint, like the time commitment is no small thing. Like that's been the one thing I've had uh, one of our friends uh, we talked about uh, off air, Neil, like he did a half Ironman. We went and saw him do it in Cozumel last year uh, in se September, which it was hotter than heck. And I was like the hours on the bike and in the pool and on the road, like that's where I'm out because of, I'm like, there's so many other things I have, I want to work on. And so I'm always impressed and highly respected. Those of you that do it, not only that you've done it, but you did it as a parent, which is a responsibility I can't relate to of the additional time. So I'm always fascinated by how you get it done. And I love well, it. Here's the thing that was important. And I, and I would do this and this, this may sound a little bit more, um, I, I don't want to use the word soft, but touchy feely. Yeah. There was times I didn't feel like doing, I'd peek in on, on my son, EJ sleeping, or I'd peek in on Maddie sleeping before I walked out of the house, because it meant something to me for me to be able to walk back in the house and either have my daughter tell me I smell like a pool, get away from her, or the kids not give me a hug because I was too sweaty, but absolutely knowing it was registering with them, the work that their dad was putting in. And that's it because we don't think they're paying, they pay attention to everything. They pay attention to every single thing we do. So that was a significant piece of the puzzle. You know, race day was just a celebration. I mean, that man, yeah. that was, yeah. You know, and I love when people are like, oh, you're going to finish. Like, no kidding. I'm going to finish. Like yeah. the hard stuff's done. I mean, you're going right. to have to, you're going to have to pull me off the course or something for me not to finish. But that's, that's, and as a parent to me, I think if you figure out your workout schedule, it is so easy to find meaning in what you're doing. And it is so easy to find purpose, what you're doing. And it also helps it feel a little bit less selfish. Yeah. Well, and, and it should be. And that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that that's leadership, right? We invest in bettering ourselves, not necessarily for ourselves, but for those watching and we're trying to lead because right. we have to model the, the example and, and kids, especially are watching employees are watching that it's, we do this. I was telling somebody the other day, like we do the uncomfortable work of improvement so that we give them our best self, because otherwise we look at our kids, our spouse, our coworkers, our teams and say, you're just not worth me doing the work to get better. And that's not the language of leaders. Yeah. Um, and I know that's a lot of the work you do now is coaching leaders. Uh, as we laughed about, you coach leaders on how to coach other leaders and individuals on the team. And getting the idea, I'm curious from your perspective, because you've coached college athletics, you've coached uh, business now of there's similarities in those veins. Mm -hmm. I think about college though, college basketball, you're cycling through guys every three to four years. Some guys mm -hmm. leave early. You've got that in business. You probably, I mean, the more I talk to organizations, the more it's rare that somebody's a lifer. Usually if somebody's a lifer in an organization, they're toward the end of the career where right. you expect them to leave based on how industry is now but you definitely don't want them to. 
Whereas in college, like you just know, this is how it works. How do you get your leaders and the organizations you work with in, in the various industries to really understand there is a necessity to model, the, to first take care of yourself, to model the behavior, but then to invest in your team, even though you potentially are going to lose them in three to four years? Well, it goes back to the philosophy of this, right? You'd rather have, you know, put the time in and pour it into them and built them up to perform and then leave than to not have done it and have them yep. stay, right? Yep. But here's the bottom line. They're, they're there. They are, they are with you right now in, in order to maximize the level of performance that you're going to get out of your people. You have to teach people how to coach. And here's why. Okay. Let's go back. And, and I didn't explain that. I didn't articulate that quite the way I wanted to. Let's back up though. You yep. talk about the similarities to coaching college basketball and it may not be what people think, right? It may not like, it's not about motivating people. Okay. That's a piece of, but, but it's not about just getting up in their grill. It's not about, you know, fast energy, high pay, high energy, fast pace. That's not what it's about is, is, is getting to know what makes your people tick. What's important to them. All right. Letting them know that they're valued, letting them know that they're an incredibly important part of the team. Okay. And that the work they're doing is important. And how do you get to them? How do you gain access to not just their, their heads, but to their hearts? And how do you develop those relationships at the end of the day? Like, that's the piece I miss about coaching college basketball. People think I miss the games. People think I miss the glamorous of recruiting high level play. I mean, there's nothing glamorous about it. And I mean, you talk about recycling guys every three to four years. Hell right now, it could be three to four months with the transfer. Months. Absolutely. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's, to me, the most important thing is how do you connect with the people that you lead and how do you have the ability to ask them questions and to just listen and not just listen to their answer, but listen to their body language, listen to what they're not saying. Do you watch their eyes? Do you study them? And do you, do you file that away? So, you know, the next time a situation arises, you can anticipate how they're going to react so you can help them put themselves in position to be successful. Okay. To me, that's where the coaching really comes in. Like we can sit there and give you every piece of academic coaching material and content that you want, but until you can really dive into who you are as a coach and find your voice and find your style and be authentic, like that authenticity piece is so huge. We break it into honesty, your ability to be honest with others and yourself, integrity, your, your words and your actions are aligned. You do what you say you're going to do. And then the vulnerability piece, which is so huge, because when you open up to your people that you're coaching, and you make yourself vulnerable to them, in turn, they're going to make themselves more vulnerable to you because they trust you. And when they trust you and they open up to you, guess what happens? You get more access to, again, what makes them tick. Now you really have you know, what you need to help them be successful, to help your team be successful. To me, that's where the magic of coaching comes in. And to yeah. me, the numbers, the money, the results will be a byproduct of the relationships that you build, the trust that you earn, and the access you have to them, to their heads and their hearts, to be able to influence and inspire them to do things that they might not have even thought they're capable of doing. 100%. Okay, so on that note, there's a couple of things I want to hit on. Yes. We talked a lot about the, the coaching aspect. And what I think, and I'm curious on your, your agreement, how you view it with your clients, is there's an aspect every leader has got to be able to coach and also manage. And they're two completely different conversations, but it's our ability to do both that makes us effective. On your side, I know you focus coaching the coaches as well, but that also bleeds over into how they manage the numbers and some of those Absolutely. processes. Yeah. So how do you kind of 
get uh, the leaders and the clients to understand that, yes, you are, you are put in a management position to manage, but there's, there's a whole lot more to it when it comes to leadership in terms of the connection piece and actually calling people upward versus did you check the box? Well, you look at management, you talk about numbers. Numbers is no different than a stat sheet in yeah. athletics, regardless of your sport, okay? And when you're coaching college athletics, you're managing as well. Okay. I mean, there are, there are the management skill sets. There are the management requirements that you have to execute as well. So when, when you look at the total package and that's why you, okay, are the single most important person that you'll ever lead because you have to figure out a way how to put yourself in the best place, physically, mentally, and emotionally to be able to manage. And oftentimes management is what it's getting people to do the things that they might not want to do. Okay. Are you making the calls? Are you doing the follow-ups? Are you making the visits? Do you have the touch points? Are you turning in your reports? Okay. Are you showing up to the meetings when you're supposed to? Are you engaged? Okay. But it, it absolutely bleeds into the coaching because if they're not hitting their numbers, okay, if they're not quite understanding what they're supposed to do, if there's some things, how do you coach them to do that? You know, and then you get in the whole, you get in the whole piece coaching versus mentoring. So here's the thing that I tell people all the time, and, and I love executive coaching programs, I'm, I, I, you know, and I love the fact that people have taken the time to build out these academic courses on coaching versus managing and all that. The bottom line is this, when I was a major college basketball coach, I never took a course on how to coach major college basketball. You figured it out. Okay. You figured it out because at the end of the day, it's a core to who you are and to be able to balance the different responsibilities, the different aspects of your role, and to be able to combine those and blend them. We live in this world now, it's too black and white, right? Like you either are or you aren't. You're either a coach or you're a manager. Why can't you be a manager that coach coaches, right? Why can't you be a coach who learns how to manage and learns how to? So they're, both are definitely necessary and both are involved in that role. And when you go to the management side and you look at the numbers, you start talking about goals and you start talking about reverse engineering, you know, the success and what that success is going to look like. Okay. We know this is what we want to accomplish. Do we all agree on that? Great. We agree on that. Okay. Now, what is it going to take to get there? And then, okay, that's what it takes. How are we going to do that? And you work your way backwards. And, it, and at the end, it's going to be, okay, what behaviors are going to support your success and put you in the best possible position to be successful? Does that, does that answer your question? hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, that's no different than on basketball court. Where are our strengths? Where do, mm -hmm. How do we need to play? Zone, man-to-man, -man, full court press. What are we doing? When's the position? How do we need to be successful? Well, one thing that popped up with that that I thought about that I'm curious, and I'm sure you've run into it, as we all do when, when talking with leaders and managers, is the struggle of the transition side. And we see this, we'll say sports example first, the great athlete and performer that's not a good coach. Because they expect everything came naturally for them. It's a lot easier. Why does it work this way? And in business, sometimes we see that same thing, especially with sales teams, right? Great salespeople don't become great sales managers and sales leaders sometimes. Different skill sets. But it's also a mentality shift of getting out of this idea that everything relies on me. So, oh, no, we determine my success now. No different than the head basketball coach. Doesn't matter how great of a coach they are, if the players physically fail, don't execute certain areas, it reflects back on the coach. How do we get more of our teams to buy into this idea of the we mentality in a me first culture? 
Well, first of thing, it's got to be a singleness of purpose. And you have to get them attached and you have to get them to self-select in to that singleness of purpose. And you have to put it out there. You have to agree upon it and you have to put it out there in front of them. And they have to, they have to physically say that they're in. They absolutely, it's, you make success a choice for them. One of the things I deal with a lot, and you'll get this, and I'm sure this will make you smile, is salespeople that set the bar too low because they don't want to be punished for not hitting their numbers. When they're not, in hindsight, they won't be punished. But instead of stretching themselves, instead of pushing themselves and wondering, right, instead of doing that half Ironman, Okay. They're, they're instead of be curious about how much they're capable of and what that'll mean to the team's overall success and getting outside their comfort zone and what that'll mean, they just sort of stay here and fly under the radar. To me, that's a real crappy way to live. Okay. And, and when you connect this back to your question about the best performers, the top performers, the biggest producers don't always make the best leaders. No, they don't. Michael Jordan would not have been a good pro coach. Okay. Because it's not his personality. Here's what I mean by that. Okay. He was locked in. See, Mike, the thing that made Michael Jordan great that people don't really talk a lot about is he was also the hardest worker on the bulls. When your best player is your hardest worker, when your top performer is your hardest worker, you're going to be pretty damn successful. Okay. But that's a mentality. That's a mindset. And that's a personality. And you need to know before you even think about moving a performer, a top performer into a leadership role. I mean, you're not, it is not a reward. It is not a gift because you're killing the numbers. You've been on president's trip three years in a row. Boom. Now you're going to lead seven people. That's not how it works. Like, are you made up of the mindset? Do you have the belief system? Are you willing to be completely selfless? Okay. And lead others and do what it takes to lead others. But top performers often have to have some selfishness to them, but that doesn't mean they don't contribute to the overall good of the team. It doesn't mean they aren't the best teammate. You know, Dean Smith has an interesting quote. I just saw my, my, my friend, Bob Starkey at LSU put this on his social media the other day, and, and I, I might screw it up, so forgive me, but it, it went very close to this. It's real simple here in North Carolina basketball. In the off season, we focus on me in in season, we fo- no in the off season we focus on what's good for the player. In season, we focus on what's good for the team. And there's a time and place for everything. And how do you have the ability as a performer to lock into what's going to make you better and contribute to the overall good of a team, right? So, it's 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 a fine line, and it's not check these boxes and you're a leader, check these boxes, you're not. Oftentimes you've got to learn the hard way and put someone in a leadership role and see how they adjust and adapt. And there are those people out there. Those are those outliers, those superstars that can actually lock into performing, kill the numbers, follow the process, do what they need to do and make that shift. And not only make that shift. Okay. And here's what I find about those people, Jake, and, and you'll like this. Those people that are able to do that somewhere along the line, they had a very meaningful and impactful relationship with a leader in their life, with a coach in their life, with a coaching leader in their life. Okay. If you want to say manager, whatever you, someone who is in charge of them, someone who led them, mentored them, care for them, had a huge impact. And now they're more than grateful to pay it forward. I see it all the time in our space. Yeah, absolutely. And somebody, it's the idea of the, the gratitude. You're living out of gratitude because someone gave you the opportunity, the insight, why wouldn't you pay it forward? You mentioned that mentoring right there, and you mentioned it earlier today of, of that transition into the difference of coaching 
in the mentoring role. Mm-hmm. How do you, how does someone kind of walk that line or do you look for different people? You look within the organization, Hey, this is my coach, but I want to be mentored by somebody. Maybe I'm not directly under a report to how do you balance that within at least one organization versus going outside for a mentor and coach? Well, it's, it's a great question. Let me, let me, break that up into two parts. Okay. As a coach, how do you also wear the hat as a mentor? Okay. Coaching to me is asking questions. I was blessed. And I think we've talked about this in all our conversations in the past. I was coached in high school by my father. And most people are sitting there right now saying, Oh, so you got a lot of shots. No, you know what? He didn't let me shoot the ball nearly as enough as he should have. Okay. I have teammates that do beg to differ, beg to argue, but that's okay. All right. Cause I'm the one on the podcast right now. So I can say that No, but here's the thing about my dad. My dad's from the South side of Chicago, old school Catholic league guy. And what I mean by that is his set of values and what was important to him, despite the championships, despite the wins, despite being a hall of fame, the thing that he is most known for was the difference he made in the lives of his student athletes and the lives of his players. Okay. And, and the thing that he did when you were a player that would annoy the ever living snot out of you. And he was ahead of his time. He asked a ton of questions. Okay, Jake, why did you throw a skip pass right there when the guy wasn't even off onto the help side when he could have got you? And then you'd answer it. Okay, so if you're in that situation again, what are you going to do? And he's going to help you get to your solution. He's going to help you figure things out. So when you're in that position again in a split second, you don't need his help to figure it out. Okay, a mentor, you're going to share things that you've learned in the past. You're going to share stories. You're going to share examples. You're going to share lessons that people taught you. And you're going to infuse those into the person that you're mentoring. Okay, that's the first piece of that question. The second piece of that question is this. As an organization, you absolutely get cross-functional, cross-functional mentors. You absolutely do. You help people look at things in different lights, in different ways, to see things from different vantage points, right? If you get marketing to work with sales, if you get sales or whatever it is, and you get to have people reframe how certain things happen, how certain things function, and really what their position and their role means to everybody inside of the organization. And that that is where relationships are built. That's where the aha moments come from. And that's where you go to work every single day for someone way, you know, much more than yourself or for something much more important than yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so along that line, one of the things that stands out as we kind of start to wrap up a little bit is thinking through a lot of this, of the cross-functional conversation, because we know how many groups operation operate in silos. Try to stay here. They don't cross-collaborate. What do you do if you are mid-level, maybe director-level management type position? You're, you're one of those hungry leaders. You're listening to your Athletics of Business podcast. You're reading the Compete Everyday book. You're trying to figure out ways, how do I better connect and lead people? But the C-suite and the person at the top, man or woman at the top, isn't doing that. It's all lips. It's very little life. How do you within an organization as a leader continue to grow and try to make an impact when everything above you is just going the opposite direction, which obviously causes the whole organization to go opposite direction? You need to to own your dirt, okay? And you need to take care of what's yours, and that's you and your people. You need to communicate up and share with the work that you're doing, the great work that your people are doing, and you cannot deny success. You cannot hide success. You can't fabricate. I mean, the film does not lie, right? I yep. mean, you you just keep doing what it is you're doing. You over-communicate with your people. 
All right. You build your own culture with inside the culture. At some point, the message gets across. At some point, conversations are had. And that is a huge challenge. And if there's something going on at the top that is toxic, you don't let it get to your people. Okay. You, you wear that, you wear that hat, you filter that out, you handle those situations. And with your team, you deal with reality in real time, but you keep doing what it is you're doing. You keep leading, you keep studying, you keep trying to grow and keep trying to improve because what's happening up there. That's their deal. That's a reflection of their character, their commitment. It's not a reflection of you, who you are, or what you're doing. So you stay true to the course that you've paved. I love that. Own, own your dirt. In other words, as we love to say, control your controllables. Yeah. Like you control your circle, your team, and look at it as a team within a team. Like, right. Mm -hmm. If you are within a college athletics program, if you're coaching basketball, you're a team within the overall athletics program. Cause there's volleyball, there's baseball, there's softball, there's football, and there can be problems going on organizationally. There can be problems going on in other areas, but how do you control your team and area? And so I love, I love that. And give me, as we wrap up today, people that have gone back, listened to the episode, got a little bit of your backstory. Obviously, some things have changed now because y'all, you and your team uh, at the Molitor Group have a very clear focus on who you're working with, how you're helping them. For anybody listening that could be a fit for that, give us a snapshot of some of the leadership coaching programs you do with organizations and who might be a fit for that. You know, Jake, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. So we've really niched hard into the biotech, biopharma uh, space, life science space, med device space, and a great deal of our clients are actually startups and the timing of when we step in and, you know, give them our, deliver our programs uh, is, is, is a lot of fun. The programs that we spend a great deal of time executing are the 90-day LICP, which is the Leader in Role Coaching Program, and the 90-day ELCP, Emerging Leader Coaching Program, all right? We, we prepare the emerging leaders for what's on the road ahead. So it could be a top performer. It could be a mid-level performer who's identified a desire to become a leader at some point and needs to be prepared and needs to figure out exactly what that means and how do they, how do they chart that course and what are the things they need to focus on the leader and role coaching program. It, it's so powerful because the cadence is every two weeks. There's meetings every two weeks, accountability forms every two weeks. Uh, we have a daily scorecard, a weekly stat sheet. Uh, we give them a game plan upon it. Then we meet quarterly for the next nine months afterwards. And we're able to deal, and I mentioned this earlier, with their reality in real time. What's going on in their world with their team? What's going on with them personally, right? How is this all? How is this all going together? And regardless of what organization we're with inside that space, regardless of how many years in the business, the things that we deal with, the topics of discussion, the challenges, the circumstances, are all quite similar. And it has provided for some incredibly powerful content for us, story sharing, idea sharing, relationships that I've connected with folks in different organizations inside that space. And we also have the six-month and 12-month program. And the thing we do in terms of team trainings, we do half-day and full-day workshops, completely customized. And that's the thing that I would say sets us apart from anybody else in our space is we are committed 110% to sitting down with you, doing a deep dive, asking all the questions, listening to your answers and following up so we get to know exactly what it is that you need so we can customize your programs for you. 
I love that. I love that the full customization as someone who does some of that, uh, obviously in a different space and not quite at that scale. It's, it's really cool to sit back and see some of that program. Uh, in addition to it, I, I would just say as someone who's known you and, and knows the investment you make, it's never a say templated approach. Uh, the framework's there, but the customization is really important. And so for those listening, could be a fit. I know we've got a handful of leaders in those biopharma, biotech, medical device space that could be interested in bringing Coach and their team in. Uh, it would be a really interesting, I would say, experience for developing your people, especially from the standpoint of the accountability. We know from research that 80-something percent of organizations know they need leadership development, yet over half of those organizations are barely investing any money, if any at all, in that development. And so we know uh, what is what is the phrase that you used earlier today? If you're unwilling to do it, you're unwilling, you're not ready I'm to have to it. Unwilling to do it is unwilling to have it. Unwilling to do it un is unwilling to have it. And so if we know our organization is ultimately, as you and I both understand, the future is determined by the work we're investing in the people today. And so having that five tier, 10, 15 year look at what our legacy could be, it starts with the people currently in our care and how we're developing them. Coach, I know you also spend a lot of your time on LinkedIn. So we will be linking to that in the show notes. Thank you. But before I go, you also run the Athletics of Business podcast. Tell me what's been the most exciting interview or interesting interview you've had this year. So we can link to it as well to introduce the show to folks. That's tough. That's a, that's a tough one. Put me on a spot. We have so many incredible guest um gosh i mean you really put me on the spot with that one because i don't want to leave anybody out but well, I'll okay tell you so what what's something you learned that stood out in the last in recent interviews it's not rocket science you know what i'm saying i mean it, it is this leadership thing this coaching thing is not rocket science but being committed to the people and being selfless and how you do it and being authentic at the end of the day, at the end of the day, regardless of who you talk to, there's one thing that nobody can deny. It all comes down to trust as a coaching leader. It all comes down to trust. It is the foundation of every single relationship in your life. It is the foundation of every successful business. And people could be sitting there saying, well, I know this startup that did five million. That is it sustainable? If you want any sort of sustainable success, it comes down to trust build relationships. Those are the single greatest experience that you're going to have in your life. Keep creating defining moments for people, for your people. Keep taking care of yourself. I Man, I'll tell you what, I'll send you a couple episodes to put in the show notes okay. and uh, we'll, we'll share those, but I don't want to cross any of my people, right? It's like asking <laughs> who your favorite kid is, Jake. You can't do that. I, I can't, I can't, I gotta get maybe, maybe sugar. Cause she's the older one right now, but yeah, right. no, I, I can't, I can't make that pick, but I get it. I just, I know you've interviewed some really interesting folks. I know uh, Dr. Eric Corman, you have connected yes. who uh, he was on our show. I noticed one recently on neuroscience that I have on my future episodes to listen to. And so wanted to give you the spot for that, but coach, man, always a pleasure to spend time with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show this week. Jake, I can't thank you enough, man. And I got to tell you, you've been an inspiration to us. It's been an inspiration to my business. The way you've stayed with it, where you've come from, what you've done, almost 700 episodes on this incredible podcast. I'm humble. I'm honored to be on it. Keep doing your amazing work, brother, because you're making a huge difference. And I am beyond humble to call you a friend. Appreciate it, my man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. 
and to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life, visit CompeteEveryday.com.